Support for this podcast comes from Diverse Refund. Diverse Refund is an investment platform that allows everyday Americans the opportunity to invest directly into commercial real estate deals, with the goal to help close the wealth gap and enable all Americans the ability to achieve financial freedom. Go to www.diverserefund.com. That's D-I-V-E-R-S-Y-F-U-N-D.com. Now back into the show. The market's going to go up and down, you know, not unlike the stock market. I always kind of equate it to the insurance market as, you know, a little more like a slow moving barge. You kind of head it off in a direction and it kind of heads that way until it slowly turns around and starts heading the other way. And, you know, and that's so, you know, I think that the rest of this year, I can almost assure you the market's probably going to continue to go up in cost. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom, massive amounts of cash flow, and ultimately created extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Brian Schimmel. Brian is the Vice President of Multifamily Risk Advisors, who specialize in providing insurance and risk mitigation services for the multifamily industry here in the United States. MRA is one of the very few firms in the country that specialize and operate only in the multifamily space. They don't do anything else besides multifamily. They currently have over 200,000 units insured across the country and have a deep understanding of the industry and extensive support platforms designed to support multifamily operations and acquisitions. Brian is passionate about providing the best level of service to his customers so that they view him more of a strategic partner than just a vendor. I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show, but enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Brian. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? I'm doing great, Reed. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing better for seeing and speaking to you, my friend. Um, but let's let's kick it off here. I know we're talking a little bit in the green room about you know what you do, but before we do dive into the nuts and bolts of the multifamily insurance industry and 
And I know a lot of listeners might be thinking, oh gosh, this might be a little bit of a boring topic, but actually it's really important and where the industry is going because you know deals may not pencil now with with all the latest storms and and the way you know you mentioned to me the the hardening in the industry and the costs going up. Um, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But before we do, uh, rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid. Oh, my first ever dollar. I'll always remember this. It was um, Christmas time. I'm guessing I was probably in the neighborhood of 10 years old, something in that range. And I remember in our neighborhood, everybody started putting up these wooden reindeer that were just simple little cut out of plywood, legs plugged up to them. And, um, and they were sold throughout our neighborhood for what seemed like an astro- astronomical figure back in the early 80s. And I think they were Sixty, seventy dollars a piece, and my dad made a comment to me. He goes, "You, you can make those." And, and he went in there and helped me cut out a, 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 a jig, so to say, so I could cut these out. And I started making reindeer in our neighborhood. And the next thing I know, I had about twenty orders for them, and probably made a hundred dollars. But it seemed like a million at the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, using power tools and plywood um, safe, right? As a ten-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> you grow up, um, up in a small Georgia town like I did. You get exposed to those things pretty early. <laughs> right, right. A few fingers go missing. It's just learning curves, right? That's right. <laughs> Maybe I was 11. I don't know. It was early. <laughs> it was yeah, no, that's awesome. That's awesome. But it, it just shows to goes to show that like your dad's encouraging you. You come from a, uh, an environment of, of going out and, and earning the value of a dollar. Um, by, by, by providing uh, reindeers for, for people that come Christmas time. And you know how much bloody people uh, across the Western world um, love Christmas ornaments and they'll <laughs> overspend. It's sort of Christmas ornaments, dog items and, uh, and weddings seems to be like the big, you can, you can jack the price up 20, 30% just because it's Christmas dogs or weddings. <laughs> oh yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. <laughs> Mate, so um, now take, walk us through a bit of your background. Like you, you, know, you went to school, how'd you get involved in this industry and, and maybe a little bit of a snapshot of, um, of your journey? Yeah, I mean, I kind of um, sat in a similar seat to you um, for a lot of years. I was a real estate investor. I was primarily a custom home builder, did a little bit of light development on the side, did that for about 10 years. Um, you know, we had a, you know, I don't know if all ships rise in a high tide, but we went through a very good market and grew up a relatively large company in the 2008 came. And in Orlando, it was about ground zero for um, for that whole fiasco. And, and you know, after a few years, I, I finally, you know, um, family and everything were, were, were was growing rapidly. And so, I started kind of looking for some options and the next thing you know, I got introduced um, to come into an agency and, and do a lot of their real estate um, insurance for them, which seemed like a natural fit for me. I've always had a, a love and a passion about real estate. And, uh, and so that's what's kind of led me to the industry. And, um, and so I think, I, you know, a lot of times I say I kind of have a good understanding for the importance of numbers, the importance of budgeting, what due diligence really looks like. And, and because I've sat there and I've done it too on my project. So I try to, right. I think I relate well to my clients from that standpoint. And, and when you say like you made a transition from being a real estate investor to insurance, like, like to me that just seems you know not not the opposite but how do you get into the insurance world like how do you just become oh yeah i'll, I'll pick up a job as as being the insurance guy like what even start to do that because i, I know the the average joe at least for me as, a, as as i'm a real estate investor i wouldn't even know where to start to go get, you know get involved in the real estate industry you know it was in consultation with a lot of different people that you know business partners everybody else is you know, a lot of people that I did business with, a lot of my partners were trying to figure out what to do, um, you know, when, when, when the custom home building became so difficult. And, um, you know, just through the course of conversation, it kept, you know, insurance kept coming up as a real viable career. And, 
you know, and, and that's where I began to really look at it from kind of take my real estate knowledge that I had and curtail that into the insurance world. So, you know, it was with some guidance and consultation, which I mean, I always believe is if you're making any big decision, that's always one of the best things that you, that you can have. And it's just been something wonderful, something I'm passionate about. I mean, I know, um, for insurance, a lot of people, if they haven't tuned out already with the word insurance, you know, I hope we can keep online because I'm going to keep it at a very high level and not delve too far down into the weeds. But um, but it is. It's something I'm passionate about. I love. I really understand the importance of and it's an integral part to the economy. And and so, you know, it, like I said, it's been a, it was an interesting transition. Um, it was definitely a transitional period for a while, but um, it's something that's, um, that's really been uh, a great thing that I really love. And talk to me a little bit about the the infancy of MRA. Like, how did that come about? And 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 was it you know obviously it's through you needed to transition and pivot from your own personal businesses in in, in custom home building into something yeah. more maybe long term and stable. Yes. Uh, that, okay. That's kind of what I what what, I, what I'm hearing. Oh, um, so, yeah. so 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 how, how how did you go out and 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 start that from from again nothing or or did you join up with a few partners? Well, I initially joined up with a, with a pretty large regional firm, you know, where I got, felt like I had some good training and things like that that kind of introduced me to the industry. And it's, you know, it's, it's a pretty complex industry. I mean, I know as an insured, you probably sit there and some of the questions you get asked, some of the things you need to supply, they seem, um, you know, sometimes like they're just coming out of left field. I mean, because it, it is a complicated industry when you kind of go through, you know, the underwriting and everything of a property. So there was definitely that transitional period of, trying to figure this whole crazy industry out, you know, and then eventually, you know, I moved on to uh, multifamily risk advisors and kind of the history of multifamily risk advisors. You know, we are unique from the standpoint of our specialization. Um, mm. You, not many people in the insurance industry actually specialize. Um, you know, they write a variety of different types of businesses and one minute they're in front of somebody and they're a manufacturing expert. The next minute they're in front of a, uh, law office and they're an executive liability, you know, expert. And, you know, and that works for a lot of people and there's some great agents that, that, that do that. But I like really being a specialist, focusing on something, really knowing the ins and outs of what I'm doing. So, um, and that kind of aligns well with my business partners. And, and our original business partner was a general agent. And then the next thing you know, the, you know, the, the course of his career, he kind of looked at his book of business and noticed such a large percentage of it was multifamily. And he made the just kind of the decision at the time to to kind of put a majority of his book to the side and really focus on the multi-family side, kind of brand himself as multi-family risk advisors, and it's just kind of skyrocketed since then. Because I do really think it's a it's 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 a need that people don't always realize until they experience it. You know, we um, you know, we are insurance agents, but we really just become part of our clients' due diligence team. Sometimes it's right out of the gate; they understand that they want it from the beginning. Other times we evolve into that role, but our goal from the smallest to the largest client is really just to be a part um, of your risk management team, helping you through do, you know, any due diligence you might be looking on or help you just basically kind of navigate your risk as you move forward. Yeah, no, I, and we we have a part of any good team and in part of the introduction I uh, alluded to that you're passionate about being a partner, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and that's the whole point of what, 
you know, having good team members around you. One of the team members needs to be an insurance advisor because when you're underwriting these deals or you're looking at these deals, um, you're gonna you can't just take the, the 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 trailing 12 month insurance numbers of what the seller has got for because you know we're in such a fast, rapidly changing world. So maybe from um, to 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 segue into the more nuts and bolts, mm-hmm. give me your sort of you know overview of where the insurance markets have come from. Sure. Um, and particularly in the multifamily industry, because you, you mentioned before, becoming difficult to do custom home building. And I know from an operations point of view, multifamily seems extremely frothy right now. Um, we talked a little bit about in the green room before we press record here, um, the, the cost of insurance and why that's going up. But maybe give us a history lesson of yeah. where it's come from uh, in, in the multi, specifically multifamily yep. to give us some context of what we're, we're seeing today in the market. Yeah, and I I think that would be a great topic to kind of explore a little bit because where we look at an insurance market as being hard or soft, meaning either prices are falling in a soft market or prices are escalating in a hardening market. And, you know, we are most definitely in a hardening market right now um, um, as it relates to multifamily. You know, when you look at your core multifamily, your apartment insurances that you have on a property, you're going to have the property insurance, which protects the asset itself. You're going to have your liability, which protects you against things like the slip and falls, negligence type claims. And then you're going to have an excess liability policy um, that addresses when the limits of that primary GL might be um, exhausted. So those are kind of your three core coverages. Obviously, you might have other things like renter's insurance, floods, but I would you know keep the conversation to those three core coverages. Within those three core coverages, you're seeing prices on all three that are going up. So let's kind of explore what's going on with each one. Within the property insurance market, you're seeing weather-related claims skyrocketing. Um, You know, not just, don't think just hurricane-type claims. You're seeing um, hail claims are one right now that is really impacting the Midwest and Texas. Um, You know, if almost any property, it seems like, that we look at in any of those areas, has a relatively new roof on it because they probably had an insurance claim in the last two or three years with it. Well, the, you know, the insurance carriers adjust to that. They begin underwriting those costs. And, and as such, the rates have, have really gone up um, with that tremendously. In addition to the rate itself, which is kind of what I focus on, you know, you got to understand what factors determine your premium. Well, your premium is your value times your rate. So rates going up on one hand, and then on the other side, you've got the values increases because your values are often determined, you know, by your lender. They're going to have a certain amount they want it insured for. You're going to have your carrier is going to only be willing to insure at a certain level. And so you, you know, generally kind of come up with a per square foot valuation for the property. And, you know, for example, if you took like a garden style apartment, say in like Georgia, mm-hmm. two years ago, most of those were being insured at 65, maybe $70 square foot and now you're seeing lenders and you're seeing carriers pushing for more like $75 a square foot sometimes even more so you know we're seeing a a 10% increase in values alone and that over what period of time has that occurred that's the the value increase I'd say has really been over the last year the last year okay yeah and that's purely as a reaction to um, weather related events or what, what, what 
is that being the underlying that, that can't be the underlying source yeah, yeah no, you, the mentioned, rate, you mentioned the rate charge would capture the actual losses okay the value is more of a reflection of where construction costs are going so you know right. Policies are written on what's called a replacement cost basis. They can be written on other, but for the most part, if it burns down, if the asset's lost, whatever it is, what's it going to cost to replace that? And and that's where the valuation comes from on that side. So I think primarily most of your value increase, I'm sure you've probably seen like a Marshall and Swift report on some of your properties before that kind of comes back and tells you what the replacement cost for that property would be because they monitor a lot of construction data. And that's where the lenders wanting to protect the asset you know, and the carriers want to make sure they're not giving away too much coverage, have really both kind of gotten in line and said, hey, we need to increase the valuation of our properties a good bit. And so that will probably continue to escalate. I mean, I don't think anybody would predict that construction costs are necessarily going to go down. But then the, the rate itself is where a lot of your losses are captured. So if the market as a whole is not experiencing many losses, the rates will generally fall. If the market's taking on a lot of, of losses, you're going to see the rates typically escalate. And so it's your value times your rate equals your premium. And both of those factors are going up. And that's why using last year's number, which maybe it was insured at $65 a square foot, maybe it was insured at a, at a very low rate. And then all of a sudden you start seeing insurance quotes for 20, 30%, maybe more. Um, you're trying to understand where those come from and why can't we get to the last year's number? It was just a completely different world. And, the, and the, the part where I think most people are really losing track with this is using the seller's number, quite frankly, worked for the past five or six years before that because it's been in a soft market. So you could just look at the number and there was probably a way to get there. You just not do, it's just not possible in, in this market. And so, you know, that kind of is a real high level synopsis of what's going on with the property insurance. And then the general liability insurance is the other major factor within the insurance cost that is also going to escalate. And that, you know, we can talk more about that if you like. Yeah, well, I just want to, you know, maybe backtrack to the 2009, 2008, where the, where the market tanked. Mm -hmm. How to have, how have insurance prices, maybe, maybe walk me through since then, has it been a soft market up until this point or has it been a bit hard and then went soft again and came back hard again? What's the type of cyclical are you seeing over the last, say, 10 years? Yeah, I would say that the market from 08 on was very soft up to about 2017. Okay. And then about 2018, the market, in my view, really stabilized. And all of a sudden, instead of getting a decrease at renewal, people started getting flat renewals, you know, or, you know, if they had a lot of losses on the property, maybe a slight increase. And then it was probably about November of this year, of, of, excuse me, of 2018, that you really started to see big rate increases. And ever since then, they've just continued and continued and continued to increase. Um, you know, reinsurance costs are a major factor of that. These reinsurers are looking at all these weather-related claims like Dorian that just went through. And they're having something occur, what's called loss creep, which is, Number one, their losses themselves are big, so they're going to raise their rates. And then an interesting factor that I obviously want to read more about, I've read several articles on it this week, is that when there is a loss, they come in and they basically try to determine how much exposure they really have to it. And what they've found is, is that over time, over the course of a year or something, as these claims are settled out, that what they projected out of the gate is nowhere close to the reality of what they ultimately paid out. They're calling that mm -hmm. loss rate. 
And so you got, you know, reinsurance, which is the actual insurance cost for an insurance company. Welcome to the complications of the insurance industry. But it's just a cost factor to the carriers that, you know, that you or I would work with. And their costs on the back end are going up because of reinsurance costs. Right, right. No, I, and, and and you speak to before about being part of the part of a team and, and and historical underwriting. You know, for for my in my business, I'm under I, I was underwriting to about three hundred dollars a door for insurance. Um, we're getting quotes back on the on the preliminary quotes at, uh, at over four fifty a door. Um, but that's because you know we spoke a little bit about before we pressed record here. Uh, deductibles and and you know yeah you can jam it down to three hundred dollars a door or three twenty five but then you may have a deductible of a million dollars which yep. you know for some operators is just that's not possible to have laying around in spare cash well, so you know like there's that whole dichotomy of like you either pay for it in the premiums uh, you know on a yearly basis or you pay for it in the deductible when it when an event comes and 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 how do you as a business owner or, or operator or you know portfolio manager manage that risk over over many many units so maybe you want to talk a little bit about the deductibles and, and that sort of stuff yeah absolutely you know the scary thing about the, the deductibles that you're talking about is you know there are a lot I, I see a lot of different situations where um, people really just have their fingers crossed that they don't have a boss because mm. the deductibles are so high and they've done it strictly as you said to try to control cost you know cost is without a doubt especially in this market it per door cost is really determined by the geography that you're in. You know, I think I maybe mentioned a few minutes ago that Texas, the Midwest, all of these areas, they, they are the toughest market right now. Um, you know, carriers are very scared of the hail claims and everything that are going on there. Um, Florida, coastal type, you know, South Carolina, Louisiana, you know, catastrophically exposed areas, Texas too, obviously. Um, you know, they're always difficult and complex, a lot of the deductible structures, but I would still say that they're not as difficult as the Midwest right now is in terms of just placement. So when you talk about a lot of these million dollar deductibles or plus maps, it depends on the size of the property, it's usually almost always attributed to the when deductible. And that is often on a percentage basis. It can be 1%, 2%. Three, four, five, or they ever see a four, but typically one, two, three, or five percent um, wind deductibles. And then the question that next to no one can answer if I ever ask it is well, does that percent deductible apply to the total insured value of the property, which might be 30, 40 million? Right. Or does it apply on a per building basis? And which is a much different, much different figure. You know, I mean, you come in and have, um, if you have um, wind hit, you know, wind usually hits all buildings. I get that. But if you were to have like damage to one building from a windstorm, you know, if you have to meet 2% of a $30 million deductible, you effectively have no coverage as opposed to if you have to meet 2% of say a million dollar building, that's an entirely different figure. And so this right. is the one part, and I, you know, I don't, as we talked earlier, I don't want to get too technical with this, but when it comes to structuring these wind deductibles, it's not just the percentage. It's what does that percentage apply to? Is and it then, the overall event or is it the, as you say, it's the sum of the parts, right? You know, because you yeah. might just have 
one building that's completely screwed, but the rest, of, and, you know, in particularly garden style, you, you may have 20 buildings on the site, right? You yeah. know, leasing offices and, and 18 other buildings. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's interesting you bring that up. As, oh, sorry, I just wanted to jump in there for a second, but keep going. It's good. No, no, I think, you know, it might be good to like focus on some of the losses I've seen. A lot of times, I mean, when you do have like wind related losses, there's probably a portion of the property that's most exposed to the wind. And, you know, and you yep. might have three, four buildings, something like that, that have some 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 roof damage from the wind. You know, um, you know, it's, it's got to be a pretty bad storm to hit you head on to really hit all the buildings. And so, yeah, this, the, the, having that deductible apply on a per building basis is very critical. And, and you know, here's the other side, too, that um, does that deductible apply once a year or does it apply for every storm? Mm, you know, yes. back in back in '04, when um, I was living in the um, Orlando area, we had three hurricanes come through. Now, if you have to restart that hurricane deductible each time, that's three separate deductibles that you have to meet. Or it could be on an annual basis that you just have to meet it once. And again, that becomes like comparing cost. You know, um, um, you really have to understand what are you purchasing because. Um, and- and, and, and so what is it typically in the industry? What are you seeing? Is it, can you negotiate? Is it per cost or per occurrence or per, per year? Yeah, I mean, what, well, what, the carriers are most definitely going to put per occurrence in front of you and less yeah. pushed, you know, to give you the annual, you know, aggregate that you have. So that's... Got it. Awesome. So, and tell me, you know, you're talking a lot about the South, the South uh, East, uh, you know, Texas, um, Florida, Georgia. What about like New York and, and LA and, and, and maybe even like Seattle? Like, uh, they're just different. Are they seeing as bigger increases year over year as the, as the Southeast? Yeah, everybody across the board is seeing increases. Um, you know, but I will say that the areas that are being most impacted right now is the Southeast and the Midwest. You, know, you get up into the Northeast, you know, each area has got different risk factors you need to really pay attention to. You get up in the Northeast, a lot of times you've got some age on these buildings. You can get into an aspect of coverage called ordinance or law that kind of addresses rebuilding these to new building codes and such. And so you have some concerns there. You get off the West Coast, you know, you're getting into a lot of um, seismic reports and such mm-hmm. to determine yep. your, um, you know, your earthquake rate and things. But, you know, it, it, it's funny, you know, California is, you know, not nearly as expensive or anything now as the Midwest is. You know, you get into like Arizona where there is, you know, and this is kind of what I point out to people. You you take something like Arizona, you know, which has virtually no weather-related claims, and it's unbelievably, um, you know, inexpensive to insure a property as opposed to just several states over. So, you know, it is most definitely a reflection of the losses the carriers are, are experiencing. G'day, guys. I want to interrupt today's episode as I'd like to take a moment to thank our wonderful sponsors. Without their continued support, we would not be able to bring you the most Kraken real estate investment tips to help you be successful week in, week out. This month, we have partnered with a cracking, innovative peer-to-peer investment platform called Diversary Fund. At Diversary Fund, their goal is to reduce the wealth gap and enable everyday Americans the ability to achieve financial freedom by investing directly into commercial real estate deals, specifically value-add multifamily. Now, the thing that sets Diversary Fund apart from other peer-to-peer investment platforms is that they offer high-quality investment opportunities without the usual cost of entry. You can invest with Diversary Fund for as little as 500 bucks. That is it, $500. And, and the best part is that you are investing alongside operators who are the best in the business. 
So what are you waiting for? Start investing today and get access to the deals that historically have only been available to the top 1%. Go to diversaryfund.com. That's D-I-V-E-R-S-Y-F-U-N-D.com. Now back into the show. So, so that, that from a, a chasing a deal point of view, given how hard it is to find deals that pencil these days, it's like every dollar counts, right? And if you can underwrite to $200 a door in Arizona and you got to underwrite to $400 a door in Texas, yeah. like, you know, it's a huge delta and, and that, that adds to the bottom line. So um, the one question, I had someone on the other day uh, talking a little bit about in and around hurricanes and how when hurricanes come, uh, he was talking on the single family side that insurers, you know, clam up and, and no transactions get to closing because they won't insure if an impending uh, hurricane is coming, you know, and, and it is, I think it's, he was saying like a week before and three weeks later, you know, like there's, there could be a month of just no transactions are getting done. And I don't know if it's, it applies to commercial as well, but he was saying on the, on the single family, it was just like, yep, no, people shut up shop and uh, you can't get anything done. Is, yeah, that, no, is that I, true in, in the, in the I commercial? Had, I had a very interesting one. Um, we got introduced um, to a gentleman through um, through one of my clients, actually, um, like four or five days before Dorian came through. Mm-hmm. And, um, he was really in some some pretty urgent need with a closing that he that he had coming up. We were able to place his insurance. Um, I, you know, he really needed it quickly. I had a phone call. And they said, you'll be getting your quote in 30 minutes. And I knew the storm was coming. And I said, okay, great, send it to me. And 15 minutes later, the phone rang, and they said the carrier and all carriers just shut down binding. And you don't know when it's coming back up. Luckily for him, he was able to delay closing a couple days. We were able to actually get a quote on that thing um, on the Friday uh, right after Dorian, and he was able to close on it. But yeah, these carriers do, they close down, it's called a moratorium on, on binding and until they, you know, um, remove it. Yeah. There is no coverage that's being, being placed by it. And I, I'm, I can assure you that held up a few transactions over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. I, yeah. Specifically, uh, Dorian was the, the last one that just went through, correct? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so, so Brian, what, what is the, what sort of, top five questions you know pieces of advice that you would give to a listener an operator or someone looking in the to get some deals done mm-hmm. to ask their insurance carrier i think you know you, you mentioned one before which I, i've written down i'm going to go back to my insurer the per occurrence versus annual and and push them mm-hmm. um but what, what what other piece of advice do you do you, do you recommend yeah i mean you know I, I like to maybe kind of point this towards, you know, if you're looking at an act at, at an acquisition, I mean, cause you either get right. acquisitions or you got your existing renewals. Right. And when mm-hmm. you look from the acquisition side, from the second that you get an OM, I feel like it's very critical to have somebody that you can depend on that really understands the multifamily inside and out, because there's a lot of risk factors for the property itself that you, you know, as an investor need to understand and that your agent also needs to be able to position you to the marketplace correctly because, you know, you can get a quote just by sending in what we call an accord form that basically just captures the address and the size and the units and everything else. And you'll probably get a quote back, but actually engaging with an underwriter and talking to them about what this property really is, putting their mind at ease with any sort of risk factors, I assure you really helps. What I mean by that specifically is if I had to say there was one big issue right now to think about that's both for acquisitions and quite honestly for existing properties you might already own it's roof ages mm, um, okay 
and I'm, and I'm going to explain how roof ages tie to financing. Okay. So Fannie and Freddie will only accept coverage, insurance coverage, if it's on what's called a replacement cost basis, which means no depreciation is factored in should there be a claim. On the roof, that is. On the bill, yeah, on the roof. On the building. But for the building itself also. Well, the carriers, it goes back to what I've mentioned about these hail claims and everything. They don't want to cover roofs that are over about 15 years of age mm. on a replacement cost basis. They want to cover it on an actual cash value basis, which means depreciation will be factored in. And so, you know, in a very large percentage of the deals that I've worked on over the past year, these roof ages always come up. You know, it's like, hey, half of them are five years old and the other half of them are 17 or 18 years old. And, you know, the carriers are not real interested in covering those roofs. And Fannie or Freddie will not give a waiver on it. They're set in stone. Occasionally, you can get a workaround with the carriers, but the only way you're getting a workaround is if you're just maybe just barely over the their limitations. You know, I mean, they're not you're not going to be able to carry a property with 25 year old roofs to it and say I want it covered on a full replacement cost basis. Um, they're just not going to do it, or if they do do it, it's going to be at such an inflated rate that it's just not going to make sense. And, and that, you bring up a very interesting point there because we're actually looking at a deal right now. Excuse me. Under we're under best and final, and, and the, the on the tour, we the, the the broker said needs a roof replacement, and in the capex budget, I have numbers for a roof replacement. Yeah. Um, but would my insurer, and, and I maybe need to ask him, but would they just base it on the as is? Like they're not even they don't even because I've never been asked by an insurance person, or oh, what are you planning to do for capex, and we're going to price it based on your future capex needs, and and thus meaning a, a roof replacement. They're, they're they're going on the actuals right now, so they might be giving me a rate. That might be inflated because of the roof age. Would that be correct? Yeah, I mean, it could be correct. I mean, when we submit to a carrier, we have to supply them with more information than you could ever imagine about the bill. It's one thing kind of, you know, I have members of my team that literally all day, what they do is just sit around and put together what we call statement of values. Mm-hmm. Statement of values touches on things like when was the property built? How big is it? How many units? And then it gets into the more specific stuff. When was the roof last replaced? You know, um, and they're talking about full replacement, not repair. When was it actually replaced? And that's what they're going to go off of. They want to know when the wiring, another big issue we can talk about, aluminum versus copper. They want to know when that is, if there's been any plumbing upgrades. You know, the, 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 the statement of values that we supply these carriers has a tremendous amount of detail to it. It, it. it has to. And so, you know, things that happen many times, I've managed situations where other agents have just told the carrier, hey, the roofs are five years old, but now you own the asset. Then the carrier comes out there and inspects them and goes, lo and behold, these roofs aren't five years old. You know, prove to us that they are. And then you can't. They're older. And so then the carrier, you know, the coverage you have is actual cash value. You might be in the position now because of your lender of having to cancel midterm and then go replace it with either replace the roofs and not have an issue or to put a new policy in place that's going to cost you you know, a lot more money. And so, um, so it's, it's probably the most critical aspect that I talk to any underwriter about when I call them up and I say, Hey, I've got a property in wherever USA, their first question is what year was it built? And their second question, and, and then size. And then their third question is when was the roof last replaced? Oh, yeah. so, it, it's, it's such a, 
it's such a interesting moving beast that you're trying to keep you know keep your hands wrapped around which is so important to have someone like yourself on the team um, to give you that advice as you're looking at deals right well now let's go back in time two three years ago in the soft market remember i told you we're in a hard market that doesn't just mean rates are going up it means carriers are being very choosy two mm. or three years ago if you were in a situation oh, i've got an 18 year old 20 year old roof there was a good chance you could talk a carrier into covering it because the market was so so soft at the time they were looking to bring business in that's wow. the market that we're in now they're they're I mean, sometimes I just get responses that are just like, it is what it is. Dude, mm. it's not our issue. And, um, you know, and I'm not trying to make it sound heartless. It's just they are very resolute in their analysis of the data that they really do, you know, understand that there's a lot of roof claims that are coming out. And, you know, and it's not, you know, and a faulty roof leads to all sorts of things, leaking in the property and everything else, you know, so it leads to other and so are you seeing different materials and products, particularly on the roofing side? I know when I come from, I come from Australia where we have color bond roofs, which is like a tin roof, aluminum or aluminum, if we talk about it here. I've seen a few of them in Texas. Um, are you seeing different materials come out to, to, in order to be, you know, 25-year guarantees on the roofing and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, you know, I really think the industry has kind of fallen behind that a little bit. Because, um, you know, I, I placed one a, a month ago, which was rare, but it was an apartment complex with a tile roof, which mm. is, hey, I was a builder and I actually installed a lot of tile roofs. That is a lifetime roof. I mean, in right. theory, it's concrete tile. In theory, concrete gets stronger with age, right? It should only get right. better. Um, the, you know, the insurance carriers, they don't, they haven't adjusted their actual forms and everything to address situations like tile roofs. And so it is sometimes an issue when you get into some of these other styles of roof, like standing seam metal, you would hope that you're spending all this extra money to get a superior roof and, yep. you know, and that there would be some relief for that and everything else. But, you know, there's probably some carriers that do, but the predominant ones focusing on multifamily, there's not, not so much. Um, right. They care about that. And, you know, I don't know if it's quite the same way on the single family side. I mean, it's just not an aspect of business I really focus on, but within commercial multifamily, um, you know, number one, you don't usually see a whole lot of alternative type roofs. And that's probably the reason why most of them just really haven't, haven't dealt with. Yeah, it's, it's 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 really interesting because in Australia it's colorbond, colorbond, colorbond everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Like you know, you know, seeing these uh, these asphalt roofs and stuff like that, or torch down roofs. It's um, it's a new game to me. You know, like uh, you get a colorbond roof on your on your on, on your home, you got it for twenty five years. You know, it's guaranteed. So very interesting. We're actually picking up an asset right now. This new one uh, that has a it has a metal roof. Uh, mm-hmm. It was built back in the eighties. It was probably one of the first in its kind. Yeah. Um, so yeah, very very interesting interesting stuff um what's the the what, what do you where do you see the industry going like you know wh- where, where are we headed in all of this you're looking back and now looking forward with all the weather that's happening is it you know global warming and, and is it just going to get worse or, or or is it you know is there any sort of reprieve that's coming down the line um well, i know you spoke about asset values and that that adds to it but you know on, on the premium side and, and, the, and the percentages is it going just continue to go up no, I mean, the market historically, if you look at it over the past 30 years, I mean, and I obviously haven't been in it the whole 30 years, but I've talked to people that have. I mean, the market's going to go up and down, you know, not unlike the stock market. I always kind of equate it to the insurance market as, you know, a little more like a slow moving barge. You kind of head it off in a direction and it kind of heads that way until it slowly turns around and starts heading the other way. And, you know, and that's so, you know, I think that the rest of this year, I can almost assure you the market's probably going to continue to go up in cost. 
you know, they're probably, they're going to turn around next year. They're going to analyze what happened in 19. And then they're going to, you know, make their, their um, projections moving forward. And I don't think anybody at this point can really project. What I will say is you touched on something interesting with global warming. I mean, you know, um, climate change. I mean, that's a conversation of itself and, you know, right. a lot of different opinions on it. But what I will tell you is the industry is firmly believes that it is going on. And they're, you know, their projection is, is the storms are going to keep getting worse. And these yep. things are going to keep happening i guess we'll live you know to see that but um you know knock on wood but um but that is kind of where the industry is and so from a property insurance perspective you know yes climate change is probably if it's not the top it's one of the top you know it has to be it yeah. has to be right like you know because climate change is it encompasses so much you know from from uh-huh. hailstorms to tornadoes to floods to yeah. droughts like it's everything but yeah sorry i interrupted keep going no no you're, you're exactly right so i mean they're 100 percent on board across the industry that that, that that that's a lot of the reasons why i think some of the rates are going up i would say the other thing is is the use of big data and mm-hmm. um you know, I don't, I'm sitting there trying to say big data. I'm not even real sure what it is. Well, but what I can tell you, <laughs> you know, um, it, the insurance industry is not the first to adopt things. Okay, they're they're, they're never on the on the bleeding edge of technology. Mm. But no, with regard not. to the use of data, the, I have seen over the past couple of years it become more and more employable. Like, let's look at general liability, for example. Um, you know, general liability—they're running crime scores on properties now. You know, um, and that is a big determining factor of what your rate's going to be. And the losses are the other big factor. But I would guide all your listeners, if you're looking at any property, you know, take a look. There's various services that you can use, and they're all free. It's going to give you a very clear picture of what sort of crimes being reported on this property. And, you know, so the carriers are using the crime score itself. I'll tell you an interesting story about crime score in a minute, but the carriers use a crime score itself. And they're also Googling everything there is to Google about a property. I mean, um, I don't mean to keep telling about stories about writing a property, but less than a month ago, I get a call out of the blue that the, they got some carriers got to pull their general liability quote because they found out that there had been a meth arrest at, at an apartment we were writing. And I'm looking everywhere. I'm like, where'd you get this? We Googled it and found it. So they're, they're off of it. You know, and then with regards to crime scores, I was looking at um, a very, probably shouldn't say where, but it's a very preeminent property in a major U.S. city. Um, it was basically the centerpiece of the downtown. Um, and um, we were working on this property, and lo and behold, you know, the, the, like I said, the liability rates on it were ridiculous, what they were, what the, what they were charging. And, you know, in talking to the underwriters, they basically came out and said, well, the crime scores for this downtown area are horrible. And my response is, well, name me a downtown area in America where the crime scores are. That's where crime occurs because most people are, are there. You know, it's just common sense, right? Right. But the carriers were simply looking at the score and basing their rates off of that. We were able to navigate it, but it was stressful for the insured, stressful for us. We finally were able to get around it. But my point is, is that that's the level to which these carriers, you know, they can't even, sometimes they can't even look at things objectively and say, okay, you know, of course it's going to be bad in this area, but look at this building. It's, it's, it couldn't be in better condition or a better location, but the right. crime scores are a factor to the rate. Right. Yeah. That's so, it, it, it is so interesting. You bring up such a great point that 
yeah, historically, and back to your analogy of the big barge, yeah, insurance is not on the bleeding edge of technology. And it's, you know, as consumers, we want it to be. And, and you know, for everything from car insurance to property insurance, is it's it's crazy. And, and you know, for me, there, there seems to be with global warming that, you know, the industry needs a, to, to pick up its game from a materials point of view, you know, talk about roofs and, and, and color bond roofs and, and so forth. Uh, but also then the crime stuff, you know, like just having that common sense yeah. And it's really out of all the operators' control, right? It's just sort of you. It's it's a bit of a throw the dice on the table and see what you come back with. And and so I think as moving forward, we're all going to be very conscious. And, and it's so important to have someone like yourself in in the team to be looking over your shoulder as you're looking at deals to say, no, that's actually going to be way more because of crime, because of you know the annual occurrence of uh, of weather issues, um, you know what type of roof it has on it, and that all you know, wiring, plumbing, that all impacts uh, the the final co- the final cost and and then the operations and if you can get any cash flow. So, yeah, well, it's at that point. It's like you need a risk advisor, in my opinion. You need a risk advisor on your due diligence team. I mean, the level at which we involve uh, get involved with our clients. Like I said, the second the OM hits, you know, I'm taking a look at this thing. Where is it? What's the crime going to look like on this thing? What are risk factors that they're not thinking about that they might need to think about it? Does it have ethos siding? Does it have aluminum wiring? Does it have an old roof on it? You know, um, there's a variety of things that you can, can look at. The potential flood exposure to where I can go back and, and have a conversation with my insurance about hey, here's the deal with this property. This is why it might be easy, or this is why it might be hard, or these might be some investments that you need to, to budget for, some capital expenditures you need to budget for over the course of the next year or two. I mean, here's the funny one. I mean, I, there's been several properties I've written this year where the roofs on them are like 14 years old. Wow. And the insurers are like, oh, awesome. No <laughs> issue with insurance. And I'm like, yeah, but what are you going to do potentially next year? Right. You know, I mean, do you have that money budgeted? Because, yeah, we might be able to navigate it next year, but in the very near future, probably within your hold period on this property, you're going to have to replace the roof. Is that in your budget or is it not? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so that's exactly. where our conversations a lot of times become more financially related than they do just, you know, insurance coverage related. Yep. You know? Well, Brian, look, I could speak to you for hours on this extremely enjoyable topic of, of insurance, but I want to be very respectful of your time. <laughs> um, mate, at the end of every show, we ask our guests to give us a top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Sure. Mate, what is the daily habit that you practice to keep on track towards your goals? <laughs> This year, it's been about 30 minutes of meditation. This might have something to do right. with the hard market I'm dealing with, but each morning, <laughs> I kind of just sat back and, um, and really just kind of had some quiet time and really just kind of yep. get my bearings before the day's, the day's started. So, That's awesome. Uh, you've been doing that for very long? I've been doing it for about this entire year. And, yeah. and have you noticed a huge difference in, in, in your performance and the way in which you... I, I'm such a skeptic with some things like this, but I will tell you that most definitely, I feel like, you know, Come about 7.30, 7.45 in the morning, I can hit the day running. Where before, it might be two or three cups of coffee, and it might be 8.30 before the gears really start turning. So, yeah, it's been wonderful. Right. Yeah, that's no, that's awesome. I love hearing that. And particularly, the more and more prevalent meditations become, I use it as well, just you know, five minutes in the morning of some deep breathing exercises just to focus you and center you and, and 
live in a more you know live now rather than yeah. living in the future or, or worrying or, or you know what's going to come down the you know being um uh, the word I, I'm blanking now uh, uh, be, um, surrendering to 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 things that can come and you know if it's out of your control it's out of your control like the insurance <laughs> the insurance rates going up you know you, you can't you can't stress too much about it so um but mate uh, second question is who's been the most influential person in your career to date uh, the most influential person in my career um you know, I, I would say, um, you know, I, I, probably my uncle, um, you know, kind of, he just, he actually just recently passed, but um, my Sorry, uncle was yeah. a pretty successful businessman and um, was always there for me just to kind of bounce questions off of, you know, without any judgment or anything. And, and you know, he's just one of those guys that everything he ever told me was right. You went back to the first mm -hmm. question, how to get in the insurance industry. He was the first one I called when the building crashed for me and I said, what would you do? He goes, that's a no brainer. And I said, what? He says, I go into the insurance industry, you know? So yeah, it's funny. You bring me back to that. I think about it. That's probably was the first one I talked to. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, my condolences to you, but uh, he's clearly made a big impact in your life. So, so well done. Uh, what is the number one tool? Now this, when I say tool, it could be a software tool. It could be a physical tool like a phone, but what's the number one tool in your business today? Yeah. You know, I would say the one that, that I use that maybe not everybody's using every day. I mean, billions of people are using it, but Google Earth for what I do. Okay. Okay. That's is interesting. You're the first one to say Google Earth. <laughs> yeah, it's tremendously valuable. It lets me look at a property. You know, I solved one of these roof age issues for a client of mine at closing because of Google Earth. They were not able to determine the age of the roofs. And I was able to go to Google Earth and use the timeline and say, okay, we all agree these roofs were gray up to 2008, right? Okay. Now we all agree that they're black, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and if we're able to visually, you know, show them to get through the, the roof edges on it. So yeah, that's a very useful tool. That's that's huge, man. In terms of being cutting technology and, and using the tools in your business to, to give a quote like that is uh, that's that's pretty it's pretty awesome. So yeah, I use it a lot the, of different other ways. Sometimes we use it. You know, there's square foot calculations that I can mm -hmm. do with, with, with it. I mean, they, maybe not be spot on, but they at least get you in the in the very close ballpark with it. I use it in a variety of different ways. But right. I mean, right. learn some um, other tricks to it, but it's been used. Yeah, no, it, it's a hugely valuable tool. Uh, what has been the biggest failure in your career to date? And what did you learn from that failure in one sentence? Um, well, without a doubt, it was in the building. We, we you know, um, when, when back in 2008, you know, what, what did I learn from that is that no market, you know, continues to escalate for infinity. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, and being prudent and being able to, make projections as to when there might be a turn, um, you know, or a bad market that might be turning for a good market. I mean, it's just being really in tune with the market is probably the biggest thing that I learned. If it feels a little bit of deja vu where we are right now, right? It seems to be, uh, prices can't I, I i'm scratching my head at some of the prices that i'm seeing on the multifamily side today, but it's, it seems like we're really, really in, it's going to hit. <laughs> I don't know when, but it's going to hit. So. Yeah, and I, and I hope it doesn't. I mean, I'm, you know, but here's the thing is that I don't think a slight pullback would necessarily be all that bad. We just want to right. avoid the crash, you know. Right. And, um, and so those are two different things. I mean, 2008 was a crash is, is, is <laughs> the sheer definition of it. You know, a little, there's going to be pullbacks. And then so, you know, when I, 
you know, look at some, what's going on in multifamily right now and the trends with people that, you know, just millennials just don't seem to want to own anymore. I mean, mm-hmm. who's to say when it's going to end? But I think watching it's only proven. Yeah, no, it's 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 really important. And you also got to look at wage growth and, and the yep. cost of living, and and then when those two start to just go, you know, they they're not getting any closer, <laughs> uh, and so uh, that's where people are becoming, and they want to live more in the you know downtown urban cores to be closer to work, to be closer to social events. It's it's really all it's very very interesting, and, and hence why I'm in the multifamily game, right? I'm I'm, I'm providing workforce housing for for millennials and and and, and such. So, how does um, Australia? Is there, there how does the rental owner versus ownership? Um, yeah, no, good, good, very good question. So, so I can answer that in so some large scale multifamily does not exist in Australia, and it's be, it's because of so you couldn't go find a garden style apartment, uh, and I couldn't go as a, as Reed Goosens and Wildhorn Capital, I couldn't go and buy three hundred units in a garden style apartment. It just doesn't exist. Uh, the reason is um, because uh, in Australia we have limited access to financing. Um, we we have a third, uh, not a third. We have a tenth of the population compared to America. Um, so we don't have the the, the commercial um, debt. Uh, I, I don't want to call it um, intuition, but we don't have it in terms on the multifamily side, at least, where they can lend on a new construction and they can say, hey, in you know, in, in two years' time, I'm going to have a 200-unit building, and that 200-unit building, I'm going to base the value off the NOI that's going to create, and thus I'm going to lend to you on that new value. Um, in Australia, we do con- it's a condominium market, so you know the the, the local governments get. Uh, a piece of what's called strata title. And it's for every uh, unit they sell um, or the, the, the developer sells, they have to pay or the, the stamp duty and, and strata. Uh, and that means that the local government profits from the sum. It's more, the sum of the parts is more than the whole, if that makes sense. So a combination of financing, a combination of how the local governments get taxed uh, on condominiums. So so when you enter the, the, the property market in Australia, you're probably going to enter buying a condo, two bedroom, two bath, half a million bucks in, in an area that's half decent to live. If you want a house uh, and you want to be in, um, you know, 15, 20 miles from downtown and, uh, you know, somewhat of a nice area, you're looking at minimum four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars um, $500,000. So they're just, now, now don't get me wrong, there, there, are, there are self-storage, there are hotels, there are office buildings. So there are, there are access to commercial financing and just not the same in multifamily specifically doesn't exist like it does here in the United States because of a handful of, of, of different different items I just explained. So yeah, but but to your point, a lot more renters, uh, a lot more people buy, quote unquote, buy a condo in downtown and that's their entry into the market, right? They buy that, they don't, they'll, they'll probably rent it, they'll be renting for a period of time and then they might go and buy their own condo as that next step. And then from that condo, you know, you're now in your four, you know, late 30s, early 40s, you might go buy a house in the burbs somewhere. So, um, so yeah, but it's a bit sim- similar sort of thing. Wage growth is not increasing. Cost of living is going up. You know, I think the Australian market from just a price per, price per pound, um, think of the New York, LA markets across the entire country. So there's, there's, there's no Georgia, there's no secondary markets. And that's because we're, we're defined to 18% of our land. Um, we have the same land mass as, as mainland America, excluding Alaska, um, but we can only inhabit on the coastal regions because it's an arid country. So thus... You, you you just you, you jammed in around all the um, all the major cities and prices are, are, are pushed up. Yeah. So, uh, one so, of the places yeah. I want to go to that I haven't been yet. You should you should. But mate, last question for you before we uh, round up the show. 
where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. They want to just, you know, maybe get you part of the team and become an advisor. Where, where should they go? Yeah, that'd be great. Um, I'm sorry, give my email and phone number here, but, um, you know, spelling on the names, definitely in order, but um, um, it's Brian Schimmel, S-H-I-M-E-A-L-L. And my email address is bschimmel at multifamilyra.com. So it's B-S-H-I-M-E-A-L-L at multifamilyra.com. The RA stands for Risk Advisors. I can also be reached on my own phone, which is... Um, 321-303-2840. Awesome, mate. Well, look, I want to thank you for taking some time out of your day to jump on the show. I just want to you know, summarize some of the things that I took away from today's show. I think um, the, big, the big thing for me was understanding the difference between uh, an occurrence uh, deductible versus an annual deductible and uh, making sure you're, 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 you're asking your insurer um, or, or insurance provider to, what are they quoting you on? Is it, is it 1%, 2% of every occurrence or is it 1%, 2% of every year? Yeah, it would technically be a calendar year deductible. Calendar year, right? Right. So you might get the insurance at the end of the year, and you got to renew it. You know, uh, come come, you know, two months time. Uh, the, the next big thing was obviously talking about global warming and, and how you know that's really excuse me, like, excuse me, burping. That's uh, really driving up prices and, and premiums, um, and how that is you know how the industry is re- reacting to that, and and as operators myself finding. Um, good affordable insurance is you know we're definitely in a hardened market as you said and it's, so it's why it's really important as you're looking at deals the cost of these deals are going up but so the cost of the premiums because of these natural occurrences that are happening like hailstorms like hurricanes like droughts like seismic events and and thus that is causing insurance prices to go up so um, and, and the last one was the crime you know making sure you understand that you know from a GI uh, general uh, general liability that you're looking at like the crime stats on a property that you might be in the downtown area. You know, great, this is close to hip hip cafes and stuff, but that's also what a lot of crime is. That can affect your, your insurance. So, um, mate, did I, did I leave anything out in that summary? No, I think you summarized it great. I really appreciate the opportunity. I really enjoyed it. Hey, mate, look, thank you so much. As I said, uh, enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up soon. Sounds great. See you, Reed. Well, there you have another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice uh, from Brian. Please definitely jump over to his website and we'll have it all in our show notes, um, including his contact information. If you have any questions for Brian about insurance, you want him to get involved in your team, uh, look over your shoulder as you're looking at deals, please reach out to Brian and his team over at MRA. Uh, I want to thank you all again for taking some time out of your day to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show and we're going to do it all again next week. So be bold, be brave, and remember, go give life a crack. Thank you.